So I also got my second vaccine. And for the second time, right. um, the, the worst side effect I had was a sore arm. So Look at you. Oh, just a superior human being. Congratulations. In reality, I did actually have to ask... Uh, clever people as to why this was happening because I'd heard all the the people say, oh, no, no, if your first one... Horror stories. Yeah, if your first jab was easy, your second one's going to be torture. Right. And I was expecting the worst. And admittedly, my arm was a bit more sore (laughs) and, like, it spread a bit to my armpit. My armpit was a bit sore. Okay. Other than that, it's it's fine. Whereas... Yeah. uh, Graham was really feverish and nauseous both times. And uh, Thomas Hind... Who the smart person who I'd asked about this had been ill for days oh, after his second uh, his second dose, chattering teeth, sweating buckets. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I got injected with salt water like that German nurse. Yeah, you're you're a placebo. You're you're in the placebo group. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. But you you haven't had your second uh, jab, have you? Not yet. I don't actually know when it is. I, I I've forgotten entirely when my first one was. So. <laughs> It could be any day now. Mine was uh, eight weeks exactly after the first one. Oh, right. They really had you on the border. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. They, they clearly were just like, right, we need to get just this guy sp- in. Got to find a space for Colin. So when was your first one? I, I've forgotten. Oh, come on. I feel like it was at least a few weeks ago. It definitely wasn't last week. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. You've got you've had a love you've got a little bit of protection, but you need some more protection. I need more. I'm still yeah. I'm still only medium protected. Um, and considering that I've got the like the world's least good immune system, I I, I would like more protection, please. Yeah. So at the moment, it's I like get, I get a cold if I I get a cold that lasts like a week if I sleep poorly, and I sleep poorly all the time. Yeah. Ultra thin protection, but you need some ribbed protection. Yeah. I, I gotta get my uh, I gotta get some beef onto the protection. Get some more layers into what? it. But. It's not double protection. You don't want to go twice. You're improving oh. the, the the protection that's already there. Right. No, you're not like double wrapping or anything like that. The vaccine is just it's the same vaccine, strengthening the first one. It's it's not a, there's going to be no friction. It's an interesting discussion actually. The whole uh, how your immune system is just generally because <laughs> if you remember growing up, yeah, things were encouraged. To make you healthier, to make you stronger. So, for example, yeah, right, yeah, eat, eat dirt, eat the yeah, dirt. Yeah, yeah, it was like yeah. My parents would would give us a uh, dirt for dinner twice uh, <laughs> twice a month, but it didn't help me. I've still got a trash immune system. Right. So things like oh, okay, there's a little bit of mold on this yogurt. It's fine. It's healthy. Yeah, eat eat it. Eat the mold. Scrape first. it off. Don't even like don't even like mix it in to hide it, so you don't know when you're eating the mold. You gotta just directly eat the mold. Yeah, and even little things like, I know, James, uh, cow's milk is not, and your body does not really, they don't agree with each other, do they? No, I don't I don't like milk. Right, so, for example, what I learned this week, the amount of pus which is in cow's milk, just oh, yeah. rancid, by the way, but yes. potentially, maybe, <laughs> maybe that made my immune system better than yours. <laughs> Yeah, I love I love those facts where there's just like a legal maximum amount of like disgusting things that is allowed in your food. Like there's ah. a legal maximum amount of bug that is allowed in your spices. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, having free protein though. Having chatted to someone who used to work at Stevens Bakery, which is uh, Fife's mm. uh, premier bakery, it's very tasty stuff. Oh, right. But but Fancy. now, now I, that I know what goes on. In the making of said pies and said sausage rolls and said brideys. <laughs> Wait. And the amount. So basically, 
Sorry, let's not call them Stevens. They're called Stewarts. Okay. So Stewarts yeah, no, the yeah, Bakery. Yeah, um, yeah, you go and dub that back in so we don't expose anyone. <laughs> not in any way affiliated to Stevens the Bakery. Stewarts the Bakery. And only maybe in Fife. Uh, yeah, it's they're they're like they were in Fife but not anymore. <laughs> the story I'd heard was that and was told, sorry, by someone who worked at Stewarts mm-hmm. was for the meat filling in these brideys and sausage rolls, you basically have this giant vat of yeah. of meat and like meat stuff. Yes. And yeah. they said because it was so warm and there's so many lights and they were working through the night, the amount of moths and flies and little things that would just end up uh. in this pot, which would then get doled out into the brideys and pies. Uh. And I was like, oh man, I really like the Steve, uh, the Stewart's steak brighty. <laughs> Man, I don't want to think about that stuff because I, I love I love processed food that feels a bit a little less a little less factory right, well, made. Right. Well, know? see, here's the, here's my problem. But even that is problem. So, so here's my problem, which is I still do really enjoy full fat milk. However, having learned how much pus is in milk, <laughs> it does make me think of twice about drinking it. And similarly, on that the milk point, is extra creamy today. Oh, I know. On that point. I was chatting to, I think it was my brother uh, whilst I was up north about uh, vegan alternatives. Right. And whilst I am yet to be convinced mm-hmm. by, for example, vegan steak, because it's not even close, okay. or uh, vegan chicken, which is uh, not quite there yet, there's a few, I've had a few, there's a few things which, if you were to eat the, the real thing, and the vegan alternative or the veggie alternative, you actually would be unable to tell the difference. Or the difference is so subtle, it's indecipherable. Yeah. So, uh, and to start with, meatballs, mince, smoked sausage. Right. Those are the three which, you know, you could you could serve me either, and I would be unable to tell. <laughs> I'm sorry, there's one more. because the, 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 the genuine one is just so over-processed and over-spiced right. that you can't tell the difference anyway. Yeah. I'm sorry, there's one more which I have mentioned before, Krispy Kreme. Right. You cannot tell the difference between the original and a vegan original. Right. It's, it's impossible. Yeah, uh, but there's also a whole bunch of food that is just vegan. Like Oreos, they're vegan. Oh, like yeah, yeah, like accidentally vegan foods. There's a whole, uh, I think there's a Facebook page of all these foods which just happen to be vegan. They just and are you vegan. never knew. Yeah, um, loads of loads of your favorite snacks might be vegan, and that's like the vegan food I tend to lean towards. Isn't just stuff that's trying to be in like a direct replacement of steak or something. It's just right something that I would eat anyway. It's like a vegetable curry. <laughs> it's very vegan. There's no fake chicken in there. Easy peasy. The other the other issue But there are fake chickens that I like as okay. well. Okay. The the other ficken. We'll call it ficken. The uh the other main problem with this whole like, oh I'm making a difference myself is it's still failing to address the fact that uh, the UK is about to sign off on a new oh, yeah. oil and gas field in Shetland, yes, which has apparently 800 million Yuck. barrels of oil. Yuck. And at the same time, the UK government are saying, hey, you, Hi. start rinsing your plates before you put it in the dishwasher. <laughs> start eating fake chicken. <laughs> Quit having your heating on in the summer. <laughs> exactly. In reality, we are going to be eating bugs within I mean, well, our be, lifetimes. It will be good. And, and not, sorry, and not the bugs which are in the Stuart's pies. It's the, the bugs which are actually in the packets. The bugs that are in the bug pie. There's going to be accident. There's going to be like there's accidentally going to be some mince in the bug pie, and everybody's going to be an uproar. Well, but no, no. The, like the, it's a legit truth that the big problem is the corpos. The big problem is the industries, and that we are all just the folks who can't make a difference except to vote for people who will actually put legislation in place to make a difference. So vote. 
I mean, that's that would be a lovely utopia to live in. Yeah. In reality, though, the uh, our diets are largely cultural. Yeah. In that, you know, in, in parts of Asia, they'll happily eat dogs. Yeah. And in other parts of the world, they'll happily eat bugs. <laughs> I mean, but in this country, we say, I'm not eating a wasp. We have black pudding. How weird is that? Oh, exactly. How weird is it then? It's considered kind of like, it's, it's kind of not a peasant food right now. It's kind of upper class. It's one of the things that's like, you better get the good stuff. It's like, it's exactly. literally a peasant food. It's, it's made by people who are so poor, they had to eat the blood as well as the rest of the animal. <laughs> that's a uh, good point. <laughs> right? So... It is all cultural, but then there's also the element of it that is very much class-driven. Poor people end up in a cycle of poverty because they don't have access to buying in bulk or they don't have access to buying healthy and stuff like that, right, which right. all leads into further poverty, uh, blah, blah, blah. So there's, there's, there's history, there's culture, there's class, and then there's all the manipulative marketing as well. I mean, just before we start the show properly, who came up with black pudding? I'm sure the uh, the people who make Stornoway black pudding would claim that they were the first. <laughs> Mr. Pudding. But it, yeah, Mr. Pudding came up with it. And <laughs> Mr. Pudding was sitting there and he was like, right, kids, we don't have anything to eat today other than the remnants of this sheep. Let's just boil the, the blood. Let's boil the blood and see what we can make. And then at the end, he was like, wow. This this tasty black cake. It's gonna, I'm gonna name Indeed. it after myself. What color is it? Oh, it's black. Okay, it's a black pudding. Ta da! All right, black pudding. <laughs> yeah, but it's legitimately good. Um, it's great. It's not good for you, I'm sure. No, it's a good flavor. It's one of the things people are always talking about how UK food's all bland and all boiled and boring. And I'm like, well, come on, have you eaten like haggis and black pudding, which are they've they've got legitimate effort to have spice. Oh yeah, they actually taste like something. Anyway. This is uh, Seesaw Parade, your culinary podcast, episode 260. It's not culinary, I'm kidding. I'm Colin and he is James. I am. And you know what? This week I saw vegan black food and I was like, I wonder what that's like. Okay, okay. Well, you can report back. Uh, This is your new favourite podcast, Scotland's longest running season one of any new slash entertainment slash podcast slash sometimes sport and slash now times times food. (laughs) Now times. (laughs) Now times food uh, in the whole world and other words go here. So if you uh, want to get in touch with the show, you can do seesawparade at gmail.com. James, I actually recommended this podcast to someone on a course what? this week, in an actual work course. Yeah, You're getting confident. I like it. Oh, it's ridiculous. So at the end of this course with a, a very, um, very excellently high standard group of people, uh-huh. which I'm not saying because one of them might be listening to this, but genuinely a yes. very high standard of media trainees. A good bunch of beans. Oh, absolutely. Stick them on the BBC right away. Nice. They, uh, at, the, at the end of the course, we'll give them a bit of paper to be like, yo, what did you think of the course? Did you like it? What would you change? Also, here are lots of other courses you might want to give us money for. Uh-huh. And uh, the chief exec said, oh, right, we're actually thinking of doing uh, some podcast or, or podcasting. Oh. Tell me, oh. Colin and Andrew, do you know anything about podcasts? And I said, Andrew, sit down. <laughs> this is this is me. Andrew, go home. And uh, he actually did go home, yeah. So <laughs> I uh, I took the floor. And at the very end, uh, the other chap, who was also called Andrew, stood up and said, Colin, what's that podcast called? <laughs> I said, it's called Seesaw Parade. And you'll have a great time. Genuinely, I told him like three or four times how great it was. I was like, it's a great podcast. It's Oh, by the way, it is a great podcast. Oh, do you know the Seesaw Parade I do? It's great. Yeah, you'll have a great time. Often enough, it manifests. So, Andrew, if you are listening to this uh, this podcast, 
Welcome. It's great to have you. It is. Welcome to a great podcast. Yeah. So if you want to get in touch, at CSOPERATE on Twitter or CSOPERATE at gmail.com. And a few responses uh, from last week. We were asking people what they thought blushies right. were. Right. As an item of clothing. Yes. You said you had the big old blushies. Yeah. Uh, Shanana said uh, blushies are definitely old man style boxers that are red and small with white love hearts on them. All right, those are blushies, okay. Right, right. And then afterwards, best with a goatee and a root beer in a glass mug. Do you have a goatee? I do not much <laughs> like root beer, though. Yeah, so there's a there's a visual for you. And uh, then we All also right. had Ed from Tokyo Podcast to say blushies are definitely slippers. That was my first thought, and then I said it. It was like I was uh, reading, he was reading my mind. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt, I feel like they're frilly slippers, though. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, well, I suppose it could be a bit both. Shanana also got in touch again. She was essentially live-tweeting the episode, uh, but she did say that uh, she enjoys, James, when you are listening to someone's review of what they've been watching, what they've been listening, and what we'll do, just to to give you the the behind-the-scenes here, listeners, I will essentially play the review on my phone Mm -hmm. live. Yeah. James then reacts to it, and then I'll put the proper recording in over the top. Yeah. So we do get James's uh, essentially commentary (laughs) as I'm playing the review, and uh, Shanana says that her new favourite thing is this is you're reacting wow. to the uh, listener reviews. It cracks me up, literally laughing out loud every time. Please keep interacting. So there you go, James. Uh, yeah, no, I, I treat them like a conversation, you know? And apparently we also helped her with pulling up old carpets and staples. So I'm glad we could do that. Uh, that's, 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 ex- that's hard work. That's exhausting. Those staplers, staplers? This, this, those staplers are sneaky. It's also something I'm considering with this, uh, this flat. You know, I have uh, been here for over a year now, which right. is crazy. I've also had a leak in my ceiling for a year now. So Newton factors. Indeed. If you fancy actually finding out what the problem is, that would be great. But... It does make me think, because I'm going to get a house eventually, once I stop spending mm-hmm, money mm-hmm. on uh, hookers and cocaine, <laughs> is how much work do I do to this flat, or do I just sell it the way it the way it is at the moment? So I could, ah. for example, I could go to the effort of uh, replacing door hinges, I could right. uh, fill like window sealants, I could do loads of stuff, yeah, but I yeah. don't see myself being here for more than another few years. Yes. So I don't know. What do, do I pull out carpets like Shanana? Do I take out old staples or do I just say, you know what? No, I'm going to leave it until I get to my house where I'm going to live. Uh, I think I think when it comes time to decide what to do to make your flat worth selling or to make money on the set on the sale, it's just to ask a pro. Get someone in to value the place and let ask them like what work would legitimately be worth the investment oh, of time and money. That's clever. Um, yeah. And I'm sure the leak would be one of those things. <laughs> yes. No, that's that's the main thing. Like, I can't sell it until the leak is fixed. Yeah. That's just a fact. And the thing is, I'm pretty sure the previous owners knew there was a leak, yeah. covered it up, yeah. sold it, yeah. and then uh, they sold it in the summer. So I was unaware mm-hmm. until uh, it rained heavily last August. And here we are. Here we are. But see, James, this is uh, this is why you're so useful in the show. You, you are the source of hilarity for so many people, but you're also my sounding board for uh, bad ideas. Or in this case, good ideas. Good ideas, yeah. I can refine your ideas. Okay. That's what people do. We, re- we When we talk, we refine things of each other. Well, dear listeners, if you have any ideas that need refined, then welcome to your new podcast for doing just that. Send us your ideas. Yeah, just state your idea out loud right now, 
and I'll try and give you a little bit of refining. Um, so I'll give you a couple of seconds here to state your idea. The only idea that's coming to mind for me is uh, trying to introduce great white sharks to Scotland. Mm. I don't know, like since I since I was a kid, I was always intent on I need to convince WWF Scotland <laughs> to uh, to do this for no reason other than my pleasure. All right. <laughs> Even though I'm pretty sure, as warm-blooded sharks, they would die pretty quickly. Yeah. No direct uh, response to your idea there would be. What do you think is holding back the great white sharks? There's not like a wall in the ocean. It's not like a kangaroo where it would have to swim uh, a billion miles uh, in uh, in water that it doesn't live in. Sharks live in that water, so they could choose to be here if they wanted to. Right. But in response to everybody else's ideas, hmm, you know, that sounds very interesting. I, I think we'll both have to give it a little rudimentary Google search and, and circle back to the discussion. So step one is to... See if anybody else has had your idea by Googling it. Okay, right. Well, on to more serious matters. Let's actually start the show. Uh, lots to talk about, but let's kick off with Afghanistan. Oh. Yes, uh, typical seesaw parade. Handbrake turn right mm. there. So this story has really come out of nowhere. Well, it's happened so quickly that we actually haven't talked about this on the show yet. Yeah. And now here we are talking about it. Mm -hmm. To start with what's happening, this is uh, Tuesday late afternoon. The Taliban are currently giving a press conference, mm -hmm. which is a sentence I never thought I would say, uh, to talk about the fact that they are now in full control of Afghanistan. It's uh, on Sunday, they uh, took over the capital city, Kabul. The president fled the country. And uh, now questions are being asked about the US and the UK. Because if you recall, mm -hmm. just a few months ago on this show, we talked about the fact that the US essentially, sorry, literally disappeared overnight yeah. from Afghanistan. They decided they actually left stuff plugged in, turned on, and they disappeared. Yeah, and they here we are. destroyed some equipment and then left other equipment for the uh, Afghani troops to, to take up. Right, so 20 years after the US first invaded, uh, this is where we're back... we're back to, the Taliban, in control. Yeah, and, and we say 20 years, but then, like... 20 years before that, CIA and the US were supporting the, well, basically the Taliban and their fight right. against the Soviets. And decades before that, the UK occupied the place uh, on their third attempt to, to own it or second attempt to own it. And I, I don't know. I think that when people say anything about the situation in Afghanistan sneaking up on us, which is the media narrative is like, oh my goodness, suddenly everything's bad. It's kind of forgetting all the history, including last year, where Trump was negotiating with both sides of the f conflict in Afghanistan, yep. putting into place this agreement to leave. This 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 leaving was agreed by by Trump and his his folks last year. Biden made the mistake of just doing it um, as Trump decided, rather than refining it a wee bit. Right. So just on the on that note, that I should say, yes, this has been a long time in the making. But in terms of physically taking over the country, yeah, it has been a matter of weeks. And the experts said it would take at least a little bit longer than this. <laughs> yes, they did. So before we talk about the the US and the UK side of things, let's talk about 
what's actually happening in Afghanistan. We have seen chaos at uh, the main airport in Kabul with people clinging onto the side of military planes. We had uh, some really horrendous videos of people falling off said planes after they'd taken off. Mm -hmm. So we had, uh, I think, seven deaths yesterday. A couple of people had been shot by US military. Uh, Taliban, yes, currently giving a press conference in which they have said, and I'll quote here, that women will apparently have rights within Islamic law, but uh, they've not ref- they've not given any more detail than that at the moment. Yeah, I don't know what that quite means from them, yeah. So, as you say, James, the Taliban, and this is, again, from the very little understanding I have, have changed somewhat from the organisation which we, we knew in the early 2000s. The... What I hear from experts is that the Taliban want to have international recognition as opposed to perhaps just the sheer chaos that they were perhaps linked to and right. were proprietors of okay. several years ago. So, for example, in this, the streets of Kabul at the moment are apparently very quiet, uh, people staying inside, no music, no, no nothing. And the way that the Taliban have been communicating, as you say, they have, in the last few days been speaking with the US about how they can essentially make this work safely. And so in this press conference, the Taliban have said that uh, private media will continue to exist in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Uh, There will apparently be an amnesty on everyone who has worked for foreign powers and in quotes, no harm will be done. Mm -hmm. They've said that they want young people in Afghanistan to stay because they are Afghanistan's assets uh, rather than them fleeing, which is what we have seen in I mean, the yeah. you know the, the the pictures at the airport, James. I, it's a difficult one to start with, but let's just go with your thoughts on what's happening in the country right now. Oh dear, what's happening in Afghanistan is almost entirely not the po- the population's fault, and that's the part that hurts the most. The situation in Afghanistan for more than a century has been outside of the control of the everyday people. They've not had power to kind of vote for government they've not had power to have much of a difference they've just had to try and make do with whoever has been fighting to be in charge whether it be uh, the soviets the us the uk any other powers uh, and whoever they've aligned themselves within the country and this is just another continuation of it and it's a scary one because in this instance it's a religious fundamentalist uh, leadership the likes of which you might see in um, barbaric backwards countries like america um, which is always scary for people who don't buy into the religion or don't believe in the religion or don't believe in those beliefs because the state and the religion are going to be tied together far more strongly than is usually acceptable. Um, there's a lot of hope in that there are there they are talking, they are discussing, they are looking to the future rather than just assert dominance now, kill off the population so that you've got complete control, and then just like hope that the future sorts itself out. Right. Um, it's not been currently as much of a set-everything-on-fire regime as people have feared. However, that might just be until they've established their dominance and presence across the country. They've ensured that US troops are out, UK troops are out, and once all that's gone, they might start their reign of fire. It's scary. And the best thing we can do from the outside world is provide the resources for people to leave and provide the resources for people to be as safe as possible 
if they are there, which includes reporting, which includes um, people being aware, which includes no, um, the leaders of the Taliban or whatever regimes uh, they, they decide to call themselves as they take over, uh, are aware that there will be no trade and no support for anything that is, uh, you know, barbaric or disgusting. Okay, j- just just to, uh, to add some more information here, it's still coming through. So yeah. Zabuhila Mujahid is speaking at this press conference right now. It's the first time uh, they've appeared, uh, the Taliban have really appeared in front of the world's press. Uh, I'm going to give you a few quotes. So he says, uh, after 20 years of struggle, we have emancipated our country and expelled foreigners. This is a proud moment for the whole nation. We want to make sure Afghanistan is no longer a battlefield of conflict. We have pardoned all those who have fought against against us. Animosities have come to an end. We don't want any external or internal enemies. Right. And uh, this is then going on. They've said, uh, we don't want to see chaos in Kabul. Our plan was to stop at the gates of Kabul so the transition process could be completed. But unfortunately, the previous government was so incompetent, their security forces cannot do anything to ensure security. We had to do something. Right. So this goes on and on. Uh, and they're saying a lot of things. So just for my uh, tuppence here, and I would agree it is too early to be able to judge where the Taliban are going with this because from my perspective this is different to what people had expected particularly in the run-up to oh they're closing in on, on Kabul you were expecting it to be a conflict on a scale that we hadn't seen for decades but in reality the fatalities have come at the airport where people are desperately trying to leave yeah so I do believe at this point in time, whether it's a front, whether it's a reality, I don't know. It's very much appears to be a case of we would like to take over and do this properly and get some international recognition. The last time the Taliban were in charge of Afghanistan was between 1996 and 2001, at which point only three countries, one of which was Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. recognized their legitimacy. Yeah. So my view is that this time they want to be seen as legitimate. Now, I don't know if or when that will happen, but if it does, it's not going to be overnight. This is going to take decades. And particularly, as you say, if they resort to the kind of things which we used to associate with the Taliban, for example, uh, women not being allowed to do well, anything. Well, education, no education for females, no lib- no no liberty for females. All of those things, which is very tied into the way right. that they translate their religious texts. So, so if they go back to that, then it's just not going to happen. But if they continue to allow things, which have been the case for the last however many years, then maybe there's a chance of legitimacy. But yeah, this now begins to take us over into the US and the UK side of things. So. As you mentioned earlier, Biden was the the one who announced that the troops would be pulling out. That happened very quickly, and uh, now he's having to face the the wrath of various people mm-hmm. who feel like the efforts in Afghanistan were for nothing. They were completely <laughs> worthless. Right. Thousands and thousands of soldiers who were killed, and now it's apparently back to square one in the country. Yeah, t- 20, Biden, 20 years of time, tens of trillions of dollars, lots of lives. So Biden says he stands behind his decision. He says, look, if it wasn't now, when was it going to be? Yeah. How many more US soldiers were yes. going to have to die? So what is your take on that? Well, that part is 100% correct. We shouldn't have been there in the first place in this instance. Um, there, there is this grand lie 
that the US and the UK and all these people could go in and establish a nation and establish democracy, just like we've been known to do in so many places ever so successfully before. Um, and everybody bought into that lie, went over there, sacrificed a ton of money, mostly the money that went to our own industrial or military industrial complexes, which I'm, you know, they're the people that wanted the war in the first place, um, and lots of lives and time and effort in a thing that's never going to work and it never was going to work. And there was always people who were saying this is not going to work. It can't work, especially in Afghanistan. Um, so there is no good time to undo that effort. It is always going to be a sunk cost. And we've talked about sunk cost before in the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Just because you've done something for a long time and put a lot of effort into it does not mean that staying is legitimate or does not mean that continuing is legitimate. You're just continuing your mistake. And we have been for so long continuing the mistake. Now, I do think they could have done a bit of a better job removing themselves. Um, I'm not an expert. For any, by any means, so I don't think I could come up with the plan. But I think there are smart brains who can think of a better thing to do than abandoning all the people who've worked for you there, um, having visa processes that are two, three years delayed, uh, like we're seeing in the US and the UK, um, having very closed off refugee systems now in place where it's like, yeah, we'll take unlimited people so long as we know their names and they've asked in a couple of years in advance. Um, there's a lot that we could have done in in stepping out. And it's the same. It's just a very lazy man's way of removing ourselves. It's just get our people out um, and then everybody else can deal with the consequences. And if we'd invested any amount of effort into removing ourselves from the situation as we had getting ourselves into the situation, it might not have been quite this much of a panic. And the panic of the people in Kabul and other cities when they're trying to evacuate is a clear indicator that they're not expecting good things. And that needs to be heard and legitimized. And I think our, our governments are all kind of acting like we've done everything we can and we're going to continue to do everything we can when they really aren't doing much to help the people there. And they never have done much to help the people there. It's always just been an investment of time in the hopes that we can have a, a government that owes us everything and they will repay their debts and we'll make money off of this place forever. But they just didn't didn't succeed again as another failed attempt at nation building. And Biden's lying. He's pretending that the the goal was never to build a nation, but he had several speeches himself in the past where he was saying that that was the, the goal. So yep, yep. there's a whole bunch of lies. We're being manipulated on the way out and, and as we were on the way in. So let me ask then, this is the, the difficult question, is, is what should the international countries do the uh, the big boys us uk and uh, the likes of even russia france germany because boris johnson to quote him here yeah. he says uh, we we need to avoid afghanistan becoming a breeding ground for terrorists and to give you the context prove to me that it ever was when we weren't the ones bombing them. right right so an estimated 20,000 people from all over the world had passed through al-Qaeda's training camps in Afghanistan. However, as you say, that was during the Western powers' occupation of the country. Which we've been doing for more than a century, right? So if, if the fear of Western powers is Afghanistan may well descend back into this terrorist training camp... And the Taliban also, their intentions are still too murky to be able to right. understand. And we know what the US's position is as well. Then what's the solution? What What is the next stage other than taking lots of refugees? Well, the, the, the solution has to be 
like gathering around the table and they might be the biggest enemy we have for all for all the Boris Johnson cares and all of that but the only thing we can do is build a relation and influence people by leading and by discussion and not by cutting them off and bombing them and causing them harm because the more harm we cause the more harm they're going to want to cause in return it is just the repeating pattern of centuries of history around the world not just in this area if you cause harm to people harm will increase it's just a cycle uh, so surely the only thing we can do is start trying to build um uh, something from what is left and that might be to legitimize uh, leaders who have who are not democratic because the u.s didn't install them but what 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 else are we gonna do? Like cut, like starve the people, start bombing them again if we if we suspect they've got training camps for terrorists. Uh, well, surely the the only thing we can do is to 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 get the people on our side that we can, so that then they can also be involved in reducing harm. I don't know how to do that, but there are people who have studied this and have PhDs in it who I'm sure have a better idea than than Boris. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Okay, right, we'll leave that there because that story undoubtedly will continue to, to roll yeah, it's, on. It's te- it is terrifying seeing how scared everybody is and how worried everybody is and yeah. this idea of any sort of um, religious fundamentalism being the key for the law of a nation is is unpleasant, whether it be Islam or Christianity or any other it, it cannot be though those things are completely separate okay well from uh, one bad story to another one and this is the uh, the climate change report from the UN which uh, the top line of which says that human activity is changing the climate in unprecedented mm. and sometimes irreversible ways so this landmark study I'm so surprised indeed this landmark study warns of increasingly extreme heat waves droughts flooding and a key temperature limit being broken in just over a decade. So this is, uh, you you will have seen this in the headlines, described as code red for humanity. So this uh, came from this uh, essentially a special body of the world's leading climate scientists, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and uh, their findings were then endorsed by the world's government. So (laughs) this is the first major review of the planet since 2013, and it comes just a few months before COP26. And uh, let me give you some of these figures. Right. Global warming is already affecting the weather and climate extremes in every region across the globe. It's not just in certain parts. It's the likes of heat waves in Greece that we saw last week or in North Africa. Floods in Germany and Belgium we saw last month. China as well. As well as even the extreme weather we've had in the UK over the last uh, couple of years. Some more stats here. Global surface temperature was over a full degree higher in the decade between uh, 2011 and 2020 than compared to 1850 to 1900. And the past five years... Wow! So here's the the kicker. The past five years have been the hottest on record in 170 years. Yeah. Uh, The the facts go on and on. Human influence, for example, 90% likely is the main driver of the uh, global retreat of glaciers since uh, the 1990s. James, this uh, this whole report makes for pretty sombre reading. Yep. And uh, it looks as if there's no going back because the amount of things that would need to happen for the uh, climate to be fixed 
It's just not going to happen. But Colin, Jeff Bezos says that we can pollute space and it will be okay. I looked at the recommendations of this report and all the things that would need to happen for the, essentially for us to hit the reverse gear and simply knowing the way that money talks and that the big corporations, big corpos, as you called them earlier, are the ones who are running the world here, they'd essentially have to shoot themselves in the foot. No, no. They wouldn't even need to. They would need to, like, stop hoarding so many feet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep. That's that's true. To, to, for this to actually happen. So, what's your thoughts on, on this report and the, the reality that has been, uh, the stark reality that has been placed in front of us here? Yeah, well... You and I are, of course, not surprised by the report. And I'm sure anybody no. who, who, who believed in the science up to now is not surprised by the port. The, the port? Yeah, the port. Um, it is not unprecedented, really, because it is, a, it is just an extreme version of what everybody already believed. Yep. Uh, and we're not surprised that we're, we're doing worse than... Because every, every single report that comes out, we're doing worse than expected. So when, when that's the standard, it's not a surprise that we're doing worse than expected. Um, I do think that if you didn't believe in climate change and the disastrous future that we're facing before this report, you're not going to believe it after the report. This isn't going to change anybody's mind. Yeah. Uh, and that includes all of the mega rich uh, who are only interested in their own lives. And because they're all going to die before things get truly awful, they don't care. It doesn't include the people who are just trying to ignore it uh, in the hopes that, they're, that, it, that it won't affect them. Uh, okay. The report isn't going to change anybody's mind. It's not going to change any government's mind. The government cares just enough to keep getting enough of the vote that they'll keep the power. And this is especially true in the UK, who is still investing more into polluting the world than we are into uh, green energy and stuff like that. Um, but it, it, nothing's new. Going back as far as Thatcher, we had a, a government who who were saying that, that climate change was bad and we need to do everything we possibly can yep. as wonderful capitalists to avoid this future. And eh, did nothing happen. So, um, sorry, just, just at this point, can we talk about the fact that Boris said Margaret Thatcher had actually given the UK yeah. a head start in uh, saving the planet because she closed all the coal mines? It's really <laughs> weird to me that he chose that one because she legitimately had some good things to say about global warming climate change because of the of the war that we entered um, yeah, yeah. she had the ear of like the scientists who who kind of told uh, told us all how to like lead the expedition down into the southern regions um and because they had her ear they told her all about all this global catastrophe that was just around the corner and she legitimately had some speeches addressing this and instead of talking about those boris is like not <laughs> let's just rub it in the faces of the coal miners again ha <laughs> uh, so it blows my mind. And I'm not a fan of that. I don't think anybody with a reasonable brain truly is as powerful and as great as she was at, like, you know, the one or two things she was good at. She generally was just a callous person. Um, but if she, even she could be right about climate change decades ago, then there's no hope now. <laughs> because we, are, we, we still don't have as good of a belief as even she did back then. Right. A, a few points I want to make. First of all, people who who see this report, as you say, who, first of all, are, are already sceptical about climate change, despite the fact we are all living through this. 
yeah. are not going to be are not going to be phased or daunted or actually change their mind because of the report. So those people are beyond saving, and frankly, yeah. are idiots. Yeah. The second point is uh, to just to point if, to paint a few more apocalyptic pictures for you. No. no. The Arctic is likely to be ice free in in a September at least once before 2050, what? which is insane. What? Uh, I, I, I've genuinely looked up the elevation of my flat just to see how <laughs> how many years it's going to take before it's flooded. <laughs> so, so just on that note, extreme sea level events that occurred once in a century in the recent past yeah. are projected to occur at least annually wow. at more than half of tidal gauge locations by the wow. end of this century. There will also be a likely uh, increase in fire weather yes. in many regions. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going to repeat that. Fire, fire weather. weather. <laughs> fire weather, everybody. <laughs> and uh, lastly, just on that point of uh, rising sea levels, this report essentially sets out the different possible scenarios based on what humanity does for how much higher sea levels will rise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And depending on how high they rise, certain places may be underwater. By, by Denmark. In particular, Denmark, the Maldives, parts of the Netherlands, although the Netherlands have been doing very well building all those dikes. Uh, they're going to continue to do that. Yeah, surely it's going to going to ha- have a limit eventually. But essentially, this prediction of a, a potential two-meter rise in sea levels would put several major cities yep. of the world as well yep. Underwater, Absolutely. including the likes of Miami, because Western white people care about that, but made, uh, mainly cities in Southeast Asia, yes. which are all fairly low-lying. So, James, I believe that most people will see this report and shrug because they'll think, it doesn't matter, it's going to be long before, long after I'm dead yeah. that we see the, the the really big impacts of this, uh, this happening. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I'm then thinking of... For example, younger people I know, nephews, nieces, and you know, the, future the next generation. Exactly, future uh, young people, and they're the ones who are going to be dealing with this. And yeah, frankly, it's just very selfish if you decide, it you is. know what, I can't do anything. However, as we've talked about, there is very little that we can but do. You know what? You know what? I'll just I'll just put a link to the podcast on my tombstone. Uh, and then everybody's going to give forgive me. Right, but ultimately, as we've talked about, there is very little at an individual level that we can do Yeah. because, yes. as I said at the start, it's the big corporations, it's the governments of the world which can turn this around. It's not us, and they won't do it. Yeah, oil companies are still the big problem. Uh, tourism industry, massive problem, and it's not the individual tourists are the problem. It's the it's the it's the the way that the industry works that's a problem there's there's so once again what's the solution well okay right if we want to try and convince the people who don't believe in climate change to care about climate change and this is the the 100 cynical brain turned off optimism onto overdrive and um mostly this is a joke but i'm going to say it anyway and we need to 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 harness their hatred of the immigrants. Okay. And turn it against how, them. How? Because one of the huge things that is going to happen with climate change is a massive displacement of populations. And where are they going to go? Right. Well, they're going to go wherever the population isn't getting displaced. Okay. So if you live somewhere where you're not going to be displaced, people are going to immigrate. You're going to get climate refugees at your door. Don't you hate refugees? You should care about the climate. It's a good. Yep, that works. Works for me. But they'll no, because it won't work. Because they'll just go like, no, just close the borders. 
<laughs> that's the argument and we're done we're screwed we're screwed because everybody hates refugees so much that they'd rather close the borders and doom the world than they would even like critically think about it for a second the actual thing we can do the actual thing that governments can do aside from investing heavily into renewables and aside from investing heavily into our own infrastructures for carbon capture and you know um, outlawing and banning practices that are terrible for the planet one of the only things we can do in a world that is so selfishly driven towards profit and i've said this before in the podcast is make carbon capture technology more profitable than carbon creation okay so you have to make carbon capture more profitable than using oil reserves and burning stuff, right? And that's not cheap. We have to invest a whole lot of money to make it more profitable, but we have to do it because then the billionaires will will care. They can get they can hoard more feet if you if you do that. Okay. If you, if you give them more feet, they'll care. Okay, so usually when we talk about what we've been watching, we, we move on from the serious news, we go to the lighter stuff. Uh, usually the lighter stuff is a, it's a nice wee pause. Right. It's like the, it's like a, not an hors d'oeuvre. What's it called? What's the thing you have in between meals? Uh, the, the, a palate cleanser. There we go. All right, all right. I was not going to say that. Okay, so this is like usually the palate cleanser. But James, the first movie I saw this week was actually about a world-ending disaster. So maybe not so much of a a palate cleanser, but let me ask... too real. Let me ask, have you watched anything? Have you finished anything this week? Uh, Wow, in the last week. Um, Actually, yes. I watched whatever the Harley Quinn film is. Oh, the Birds Birds of of Prey. Prey. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, well, let me tell you about my uh, my world-ending disaster. Then we'll hear uh, yours. Then I've got a Star Wars movie which uh, yes. I finally watched for the first time. So let me start off with the movie Greenland, or Greenland, if you are saying it out loud. This is... <laughs> what, what? The, is that you, no, first, you know, telepathy? No, do you know how... Or telepathy, if you're saying it out loud. <laughs> you do, you've got, like, Scotland, England. If you say it as it's meant to be said, or as it's written, yeah, right. Scotland, Scotland, England... Iceland. It's not ice. Well, Iceland, Iceland. <laughs> so in the same way, Greenland, Greenland. Okay. I'm one of them's out loud. Anyway, this is Greenland, and it's uh, it's Gerard Butler, everyone's favorite American Scots person. Yeah, everybody's favorite person with a very definitely real and not exaggerated Scottish accent. This is a yeah. It's a disaster movie. It's on Amazon Prime. And let me tell you, first of all, I really like this. All right. And the reviews will similarly agree it's actually a very well done disaster movie and the reason why it works is not just the grand scale of things exploding and uh okay and stuff it's the the fact that this movie takes the time to explore the human side Ah. and the the reality of what would happen if Mm. you knew the world was ending or sorry if everyone knew the world was ending and what would happen so this movie uh, yeah tells the story of Gerard Butler who is a structural engineer now this that's important and his uh, estranged wife and their kid who's diabetic who are about to witness with all their pals a comet which is going to fly past the earth but just as the comet is about to fly past the earth Mr Butler gets a, a very ominous text from homeland security to say <gasps> that he and his family have been requested to uh, or rather 
being told, go to this particular airport, you have been chosen to be saved. Ah, one of those. Okay. However, none of none of the neighbours in his house received the same text. Oh dear. And so, you then, as you can imagine, chaos unfolds as suddenly the power goes out, there are these horrendous pictures of this comet, which actually, it turns out, it wasn't flying past Earth, it was flying directly to Earth. Ah, oh, what? And uh, yeah, the chaos then unfolds over the next hour and a half. Uh, Morena Baccarin, who is uh, best known from Deadpool? She is uh, Jared Butler's. She's great. Other half in this movie. She is. Fan- she's fantastic. She's great. And the rest of the movie then unfolds with the classic uh, separate, you know, separation storyline. Of course, Jared Butler gets in a couple of fights, uh-huh. but ultimately, uh-huh. it is actually about the human interactions and the uh, okay, the the chaos that unfolds from person to person rather than oh look, it's, I like that. It's the white. It's the White House blowing up. Which we've seen before. Yeah. Yeah. Or 2012. Precisely. So yeah. there's a lot to like about this movie. However, it's at the about halfway stage. You are wondering, why did Jared Butler and his, his family get saved? And it turns out it's because in this world-ending scenario, they've decided we need to save people based on their profession. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. So all the clever people with important jobs, they're the ones who are getting saved. So, James, <laughs> let's let's ask you... In a world-ending scenario, <laughs> would would either of us be saved? Uh, I mean, I'm not sure how much need there would be for a voiceover artist. I think I can deceive the government a wee bit. I can be like, how? yeah, I'm a real, I, I've studied agriculture. <laughs> you want to be rotating your crops when you're establishing a, a new oh. settlement. Okay, I mean that's that's more information than I know. I've played enough games to to, to trick them. No, no, I I would be I would be chucked. Uh, it's a, it is funny when the when when the pandemic kicked off and we were hearing all about essential workers and stuff. It was a bit of a a knock on the back of the head. Like I would <laughs> never be deemed that, even though I do feel like my work is in a way essential as a supporting right. cast member. I, 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 yeah, I get like I get that in the same way that I find. The work I do, like I help people become more confident speaking to the media. I help people with their presentations. I really enjoy it. It's very rewarding, but ultimately, yeah. it's totally pointless. So, yeah. yeah, would I be saved? Absolutely not. Unless the president was like, you no, know no, what? No, 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 no. I need to brush up on my presentation skills before I give this end of the world speech. I mean, maybe though, maybe because the world's ending. He, he needs somebody to tell him how to how to present that information to cause the least panic. Well, you might be the most well qualified at telling people who lead countries how to say things. It is on your resume. Well, well, as we've talked about before, give me 20 years to enact my Dominic Cummings 2.0 plan, and then once I'm the most (laughs) senior government media official in the land, then I'll be saved. Then I'll be taken on to the, uh, you know, the 2070 Noah's Ark. The world isn't ending tomorrow. It's going to take a couple of decades. (laughs) Right, okay. So anyway, Greenland, I I did actually enjoy very, very much. If you're looking for a brain-off popcorn movie, it it is a lot of fun. So I would check that out. Some of the some of the elements of the film are tickling my. Uh, this sounds like something else. Um, parts in my brain. What's the film called? Deep Impact. No. What's the film called? It's set at a wedding, <laughs> but it's about a, a planet impacting Earth. Uh, it's not melancholia, is it? 
Melancholia, yeah, because that's a general world-ending disaster, a planet colliding with us. You know, it's a pretty big deal. Um, and that film focuses on the on the on the micro, not the macro. It focuses on the group of people and their crisis and how like and it, and it just happens. And the film the film ends. Do you know? Fun fact: I think that movie came out uh, maybe 2011, 2012. Lars von Trier, okay. I think, is the director. I never never got around to seeing it, but I was always intrigued by it, mainly because I was still in my phase of convincing myself I was straight, and I knew there was a uh, a topless scene in it, and I thought if I watched it, maybe it would cure me. I'm not. I'm not kidding. <laughs> now I do believe. I do believe in the power of the female form, but only if you are like a touch leaning towards those powers in the first place. N- no, yeah, no, no. I was. I was willing myself to believe it, but uh, no. Sadly, sadly not. I do need to watch that movie. No, However, but you've never seen it. No, I've never seen it. I know the movie, but I've never seen it. Yeah, you, some of the things you described uh, just t- just reminded me of it a wee bit. Okay, right. So that's Greenland, James. What about you? How was Birds of Prey? Birds of Prey. Now again, I want a roll of picking films to watch that I really just do not pay attention to and therefore enjoy them. <laughs> Um, right. I, I I went into slug mode. I I had the snacks. I had the uh, the reclining posture. So, sorry, what? And I just is it on Netflix? Is it on Prime? Uh, it's on now. It's on now TV right now. Ah, excellent. I have I have I've, I keep using free uh, free accesses whenever I get the chance. So you got to blast out several films. Uh, Love that. Um and. Again, I turned my brain off. I had zero expectations, and then I kind of enjoyed it. It was a passable, entertaining film. I think if you go into it expecting a good film, you're done for. I think if you go into it expecting like a revolution of the superhero industry, eh, you're done for. But the characters were good enough. They were very, very overdone. Um, there was not a single subtle character in the thing. Yep. But. If there's no subtlety, you don't need to put on the active part of your brain, and you can just enjoy it. So yeah, if you if you want a zero zero percent attention using film to have on in the background or whatever you're wanting to do for a day, absolutely it works. Um, I did find, and this is about the only thing in the film that I thought was legitimately good. I did find the 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 end of the story of the antagonist to be uh, actually hilarious. That that's uh, you and. Ewan, Ewan McGregor is playing... Uh, Ewan McGregor, isn't it? As Black Damask. B- Black Mask or something, yeah. Uh, and he just... His, his, the, <laughs> I don't... like Spoilers, skip ahead to that half a second. He just <laughs> gets exploded while falling off of a pier. It is the funniest thing. He, <laughs> mid-scream, just gets exploded. I couldn't, I couldn't take it. It was too good. And it was legitimately a, a good part of the film. And the only legitimately good part of the film. Wow. Um, but aside from that, it was just kind of like very mediocre enjoyment. <laughs> right. So I remember seeing this film last year. I think it came out just before the pandemic. Yeah. It was February last year. Yeah. And it has, uh, of course, Margot Robbie uh, reprising her role as a Harley Quinn. Yeah, she does. She has a fine job. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is the other big name in that, alongside mm-hmm. Ewan McGregor. I remember the, the movie as basically what you've said, which is, it's fine. Yeah. It's, you know, you, you chuck it on. There's a few nice moments, but... Other than that, nah. 
you could miss it. Yeah, they try to do some clever camera work sometimes, and it never quite works. They try to do some clever anything else sometimes, and it never quite works. But they they didn't <laughs> use any of their creativity to make this film. They just went like, "Hey, what story do I tell? All right, let's tell that story," and they just did it. Well, in news this week, I am planning to see the Suicide Squad after oh. years years of this show talking about it. I'm gonna go see it. Wow, I, I'm tempted. Well, I mean, depending on how good it is, maybe you could join me. Well, maybe. I watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. I've got one more movie to review. But, dear listener, if you have watched anything that you would like to review, as previous listeners have done, uh, it could be an album, could be a TV show, a movie. Uh-huh. You send it. Send it to us. Seesawparade at gmail dot com. Yeah. And we will either have you have you had any good vegan food recently? <laughs> either we can read it, or we can actually press play, and James can uh, can give his running commentary, yeah. which uh, so many of you enjoy. Apparently. So my uh, final thing for this week, James, is Star Wars: A New Hope. Yes. Episode four. Now. Can't believe it. Let me give you uh, some story here, listeners. Mm-hmm. Myself and Graham have been doing kind of a, a watch a watch along or a watch back of these big franchises. So we did Marvel to start with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, have now moved on to Star Wars. And just the film aspects, you know, like doing the extracurriculars. Not not yet. We may move on to The Mandalorian after we finished. So okay. we have watched Star Wars 1 to 3, which was the late 90s, early 2000s additions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now we start with A New Hope, which was the first film in the franchise, but has now been okay. essentially renamed as the fourth one. But technically you're skipping Solo and uh, Rogue One. We watched Rogue One, if you recall, James. We watched it. I reviewed it. Yeah, but you didn't say it right there as a part of your watch-along. I was wondering if this was a separate occasion. Ah, sorry. Okay. No, no, we have watched Rogue One, but uh, Solo I think we skipped. H- oh, anyway. Don't skip Solo. <laughs> anyway. A New Hope was the first one that came out. It is currently on Disney+. Plus. However, it is not the version which was released in 1981. It is the version... Sorry, 1977, I should say. No. It is the version which in 2011... Yeah. They decided to add stuff to. A lot of stuff. And this was honestly the most jarring and most uh, noteworthy thing of the entire movie. Mm-hmm. This thing, which was uh, yeah, obviously filmed nearly 50 years ago... Decade ago, clearly someone was like, right, we need to add more CGI stuff yeah. to this 1970s movie. And it wasn't the first remake. They've they've like oh, yeah. pushed this film up countless times. And it sticks out like a sore it's thumb. Awful. It is it's really so bad. badly done. Yeah. You can see it a mile off and you think... What is this added to the movie other than made it really distracting that you can see yeah. that it's it's like it's like you've done a really lovely Picasso and then someone who thinks they're a budding spray paint artist mm-hmm. has gone past and just done like a little tag in the corner. <laughs> and it's just it's terrible in that sorry, the additions are terrible. The, the, yeah, the edits are are terrible. They're actually annoying. The most egregious one I did like a full load of digging into this. Is a scene with Jabba the Hutt, uh. which, <laughs> right, in the 1977 original wasn't even included. Yeah, well, yeah, it, there was a there was a different shot with a different character. So I found the original scene, uh-huh. and Jabba the Hutt is played by a, a rogue Irish actor yeah. whose name I can't remember, and in that scene it ends. With Han Solo, who's Harrison Ford, saying, Jabba, you're a wonderful human being. Yeah. Which 
in the context of that scene, makes sense. But now, in the modern day version, Jabba is a CGI slug. And so when the scene ends and Han Solo turns to him and says, Jabba, you're a wonderful human being. He's being, he's being snarky. You think... What? It's a classic. It's a classic hands joke. <laughs> Jabba is a slug. Did you? What? Did you? It d- I, does not make sense. I may not have this completely memorized, but I do believe in the scene, Hans walks behind Jabba, and I, I think in the CGI they kind of made him like bop up and down as though he's going over a speed bump, <laughs> right. as I, implying he stands on Jabba's tail or Correct. something. Correct. It's so badly done. Yep, right. So as you say there, in the original, if you recall, two humans walking side by side, you <laughs> yeah. can't stand on anybody's tail. But in this CGI added bit, they have literally digitally moved Harrison Ford up and down as if he's just like been walking along and suddenly he's just yeah. stepped on a big step. And it's, it's, and not it's, like, it's bad. They didn't apply like a gradient. They didn't, they didn't apply some sort of effect. Not even like a linear point A to point B. It's just an on off switch. He's just suddenly a foot higher in the air. <laughs> okay, right. So those gripes beside, because <laughs> yeah, I tell yeah, you, yeah. it really did distract yeah. from the movie. It does. This I, I can see why A New Hope is regarded as such a classic, because it is very good. Mm-hmm. And it's mainly because it's a solid story. It introduces characters really nicely, authentically. They've got uh, you know stories going on. The performances of the actors, including uh, the young Mark Hamill and particularly young Harrison Ford, I can see why uh, Hollywood were like, right, this guy's a ball of charisma. Let's get him in everything. Yeah, that's clear. He's he's very very good. So yeah, I like I I did enjoy it. And the actor who plays Obi-Wan Kenobi, whose name I've forgotten, he might be dead now. I forgot his name too. I can't, uh, Alex, Alex Mc something. Alec Guinness. Alec Guinness, that's it. Alec Guinness. Thank you. I just had Ewan in my head and that's the wrong Obi. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. He's brilliant. Yeah, but he thought it was a big joke. He thought the film would tank. Oh, did he? Yeah, he thought it was trash. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, anyway, I did enjoy everything I've said prior besides. I did enjoy it. It has set up the uh, the next couple of movies very nicely. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm mildly looking forward to seeing episodes five and six. Yeah. Now there are difficulties when you actually watch the films in order. When you when you watch the backstory that they made up in post. Okay. It, it feeds into some of the scenes a bit clunkily. We're in like Obi Wan and R two D two go back a long way. Yep. In the original and the seek in the prequels, and then in this film they meet and it Obi's just like. Who is this clunky, stupid droid? I've never met it. <laughs> it completely ignores their established and long-lived history. And they don't really tell us why. So there was a lot of that in the when they were filling in the backstory. They kind of ignored a line or two right. in these films. They care a lot about that stuff it brings out at the moment, but not as much as the bad CGI. Sorry, just one final point before we wrap up and move on to our final section. In this movie, Peter Cushing yeah. plays a villainous... Uh, bad guy for yes. the empire yeah and if you recall those of you who are who are movie fans peter cushing who has long since died mm-hmm. was entirely recreated in cgi for rogue one yeah digital double yeah. a digital double with his voice with with everything now in some parts of rogue one it is so well done you actually couldn't tell because and i know this because i watched it with graham and the first few minutes none the wiser until i said did you know 
that guy is entirely CGI. Yeah. And there are, after that, you can see it a little bit more. It becomes a pattern. But having yeah. now... Right, but having now seen the real Peter Cushing in this movie... Right. I, I feel very uncomfortable with recreating a digital double of a deceased person. Yeah. I don't know how you feel about that. No, it's it's a, it's a strangeness of the industry and one that we're all going to have to think about for a long time is how valid is this when you're thinking about people making art to just recreate them and to use their likeness when they can't really sign off and like maybe you're asking the family for permission and stuff and that kind of makes okay. the water a little less muddy, but it is weird. And it's going to be weirder still when people start just doing it to make the film. And we've seen this referenced in several pieces of media of late wherein there's the idea of just having an actor sign off to be in a film and then the whole film is just a digital version of them. Yep. But they've put their name on it. And just the weirdness of all of that. Does it actually change the art in any way? Does it does it alter the piece of it is or isn't the actor? I don't know. It's so difficult to kind of come to any conclusions over this. So just on that that note, because I did some some maths, James, I suspect that in years to come, right, some sort of device or app will be made available where you can get anybody's voice to say anything you want. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're almost there. Okay, so over the last five and a half years, approximately, you and I have done or have made around about 16,000 minutes wow. of uh, of audible talking. Wow. That is close to a million seconds yeah. worth of uh, of content. Yeah. And with the with the the very very rough guide of 3 words a second, that's cl- that's over a quarter of a million words from the two of us. Wow. I am confident that if you put through our voices through this futuristic app, mm-hmm. we have probably said the majority of uh, commonly used words in the English language. And at least all the, f- the phonemes. Right, right, precisely. So my thought is, <laughs> this is uh, yeah, looking into our, our crystal balls, which are a little bit dusty. <laughs> we haven't looked at them for a, few, for a little while. <laughs> I know where you're going. I fully expect there will be a time where we can create a full Seesaw Parade podcast episode based on nothing more than text you know, and an app where we just, because our voices know. have been used for so much content, yeah. we just put it in this, into this machine, it analyzes our voice, and people can just make their own Seesaw Parade based on our voices. No, you could almost you could, you could, could almost do that now, and I'm not even joking. Yeah, the, you could. Like, you could. Text-to-speech systems are really well refined, wherein if you put all the effort in to transcribe these these podcasts accurately, there are text-to-speech models that you can train with your own data and transcribed uh um, feed, um, uh, data as well, uh, including things like emotion. Yep. So that then you can feed in scripts and things like that, and it'll provide uh, rendered versions. People use this on Twitch already, where uh, channels like a big channel that does this kind and not very well, but like really getting there is Forsen. Someone in his community already does text to speech versions of famous voices. So he's had like Obama read his donations and Trump wow. read his donations, and some of them come through perfectly convincingly and there's all the clunky stuff as well and um, i was f- fiddling around on another site uh, this week where someone's been training models of like video game narrators and things like that and you can get classic voices from video games to read out stuff you can't use it commercially of course because it's someone's individual project but 
the stuff's almost there already for the human voice and the human face is getting there with deep fakes already and things like that and recreating performances we've been seeing that tech yep explode in the last decade we're not that far off just having complete digital versions of things being produced from text and from scripts uh, and you're right i didn't even consider we've got especially if you've if we've kept any files of the individual voice tracks we've got so much data to 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 train with that we we, yeah. we could do it we should we should sell it we should sell this to our company <laughs> who do text to speech if they want to yeah. very particular scottish accented males we could we you actually could and maybe you wouldn't really make money because there's just so much out there but, but but also, we do have all the training data we need. Look, if I do so many voiceovers that one day my voice just stops working, I'm sorted. I would just per- yeah, pay a done. company to be like, "Yo, analyze all these all these episodes, make all the words, and here we go. You can just hear my podcast voice all the time." I know, yeah, and I think I think you because you talk so professionally. There is a format that the computer could learn very easily to to dictate how Colin is going to say a thing. You're very good at the way you present yourself. And then me, because I'm usually very monotone, or I switch into uh, emphatic. I've only got the two settings. I'd be easy to learn as well. Okay, James, some quick fire stories to uh, finish us off with. Let's start with uh, with Scotland here and a story today uh, which has shown that deaths caused by alcohol have risen to their highest level for 13 years. Yeah. Uh, in 2020, deaths rose by almost uh, 20%. There were close to 1,200 yeah. alcohol-related deaths uh, north of the border uh, last year. That's 170 Mm. higher than 2019. And uh, the figures also show that men are more than twice as likely as women to die from alcohol. Now, James, for anyone living in Scotland, this... Right. I mean, alcohol has long been the the subject of jokes in this country. Uh, Comedians making fun of uh, the relationship that Scots have with booze. But uh, to put a serious note on it, it clearly is a serious problem. Similarly to, as we discussed recently, drugs. And Scots do have a serious issue with substances and this clearly shows that there's a lot of work to do yeah and the work isn't going to be done uh, overnight or over, maybe not even over something like a decade but it needs to be done and it is all about investment um and i'm sure we could get several people sending us very detailed lists of what is currently wrong with the way things are done in scotland and the uk uh, at large um, and what needs to be done and i guarantee a huge part of the problem in Scotland because it is just a part of the problem with areas that do not invest much and try to keep taxes kind of low on corporations and stuff is a lack of infrastructure and investment. It will be massive waiting times for people who are trying to find intervention and help. It will be uh, the an inability to get through on the phone um, regularly or even at all to call for help and things like that. And then there's the massive problems of Again, with most other things as well, class issues and poverty issues, where these things are a cycle. And because there are massive areas of Scotland who have not gotten investment for decades and who have had uh, 
work pulled away from them for decades and shoved into other major cities or down south and all of this. It's just a, it's just a cycle that is going to keep on repeating until we start investing in those places again. But because that doesn't come easy and because the money takes a long time to make it back into the, the budget, people aren't going to do it. The SNP aren't really investors. They're not a party of people who invest right. um, in the nation. They, they just do it a little bit more than the Tories. Sorry, so just um, on the Scottish figure specifically, since 2001, since we started recording this, yeah. Scotland has had the highest rate in the whole of the UK for alcohol-related deaths, and that's both for, for alcohol and for, for drugs. Right. And in the, uh, the last year, four health boards had death rates higher than the average for this, including yes. Greater Glasgow, Clyde, and Lanc- uh, Lanarkshire, but then also Western Isles and Highland. Yeah. So there's, you know, it's not just something, of course, mm-hmm. more deprived areas you do tend to find in the, in the big cities, but this is not just... Uh, as we do see with drug-related deaths, a city-focused or city-based problem. No, this no, is this is across I, the country. I, I'm, I wasn't trying to imply it was exclusively cities. Um, if you look to something like the Western Isles, there is this mass starvation of infrastructure and a mass starvation of, of uh, what jobs are available, um, even up there, where people are having to leave to find work. And if you don't leave what work are you settling for? And you see that reflected in a lot of different places. Then it's never going to be the full picture is blaming uh, a lack of investment. It's never the full picture, but it's most oftentimes the biggest piece of the puzzle and the one that governments can most in, most uh, easily change is putting money places where it's needed, um, support groups and like having communities built up and having actual uh, options for community uh, development and growth and how like options for how to spend your time that isn't just going to the pub you know um but we often see programs just stripped out of these places and moved down because not many people are using them and it's a waste of money and then everything goes wrong uh, over the course of a few years um and i think it's a scotland-wide problem i do believe that we were the only nation that was seeing a decrease in alcohol-related deaths since records began um and I, that could be to do with some of the practices that governments brought into place, like raising prices and taxing and stuff like that. Um, but th- it doesn't excuse the numbers. The numbers are back to record levels um, yep. in line with uh, our own worst parts of history. And Northern Ireland is at a similar level. England and Wales have just had a consistent problem. It's clearly something that needs tackled. Uh, I doubt I know how to do it again, um, but I know more needs to be done. And all we can do as individuals is support people we know who suffer from this because it is a mental thing, a health thing, um, a societal thing, and we can all do a little. And the other thing we can do is use our vote. And we got to be pressuring the people who are in charge to actually be making a difference. And that can include just writing them a letter and saying, hey, I voted for you. Make a difference, please. Okay, let's talk about Haiti. Rescue work is continuing on the island after an earthquake at the weekend, which has killed at least... 1,420 people. Uh, More than 7,000 have been injured. An unknown number are still missing. Uh, Rescue work has been hampered by uh, Tropical Storm Grace, which has uh, just been hitting the island in the last few hours. And uh, the main issue at the moment is that the hospitals are, are really struggling to treat survivors because the buildings themselves are too unstable. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, another hammer blow for an island which has been 
still recuperating from the last earthquake yeah. a few years ago. Uh, and it's another one of the cycles. It's sadly uh, one for an entire nation where they they never have the funding to build to earthquake standards. And because of that, an earthquake hits, buildings fall down and they don't have the money to rebuild to earthquake standards. And therefore, earthquake hits and buildings fall down. And you don't break that cycle without a lot of external support. Uh, you can look to neighboring areas which have a little bit more money and you see that their infrastructure stands up a bit better because they could afford that hurdle. Uh, and it is horrible and painful when you're seeing massive numbers of people die, like incomprehensible numbers of people die. We're looking at, again, estimates between 10K to over uh, 100K uh, in this instance. And it's a complete reset for them and it's going to be another rebuild. And if they don't get support uh, and not support through weird channels of just giving them a wee bit of food and things like that, that or um, shoving money into funds that are, are known to be corrupt. Um, it has to be direct support. And if they don't get it, it's going to happen again and the cycle will continue. <laughs> and if I like, it's just such a perilous situation where very few people have the power to change it and none of them are really going to try. Okay, over to the other side of the world. And for the first time on the podcast in almost 18 months, we're talking about a COVID news story after the hour mark, which is uh, quite something. Wow. So let's uh, let's talk about New Zealand. They've just announced a snap lockdown after one case was detected in Auckland. Yeah. Uh, it's the first case in the country for six months and uh, the country is going to be in lockdown for a week. Sorry, the city is in lockdown for a week and the rest of the country is in lockdown for three days. Authorities say they're working on the assumption this was a Delta variant case as only one in five of the uh, Kiwi population has been uh, fully vaccinated. So these level four rules, which means schools, offices, buildings all have to close. Uh, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern said uh, in a statement that they'd gone hard before, they'd gone early before and it worked. So this is what's happening. But what struck me as really surprising is that I'm regularly seeing Scotland getting case numbers in excess of one and a half thousand every day. And we're just living life as it is. Along, yeah. But in New Zealand, they get one case and they shut down everything. Yeah, it's 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 genuinely so mind-melting, the differences in approach. And yes, their vaccination program is less further along, so they have to be more careful. But they are being a lot more than one-third as careful. It is huge and a very big deal that they managed to get six months without a case. And then when they get that first one, they didn't have a lazy response and go like, oh, well, maybe it will contain itself. Uh, We'll give it a couple of weeks to see how it goes. They were just like immediately respond, shut things down. I'm assuming they're going to be pushing out testing in the area to try and get an idea of how big the problem is and then respond uh, with targeted lockdowns and such. Uh, it is mind-blowing how immediate the response is compared to what we've seen over and over again in Scotland and the UK and globally in general. And I really hope it keeps paying off because the more time they spend shutting things down to to allow for freedom in the long term, because six months of freedom is more than most of us have had, um, True. The, the better because then the vaccines get more chance to get to a huge significant percentage of the population and all that stuff. So fingers crossed this works. I can't believe they had six months about the thing. Uh, And honestly, I can't believe how quickly they've decided to try and deal with it upon resurfacing. Uh, Credit to them. I hope that the people of New Zealand can proudly take part in the lockdown 
ever so brief. Okay, I mentioned the saltwater vaccine at the very start of the episode, so here's your callback. Uh, This is the news that almost 9,000 people in Germany will need another vaccine after it emerged that a nurse had replaced doses with saline, with salt water, Mm -hmm. in April. Apparently, this nurse had dropped a vial of the Pfizer vaccine and instead decided to use salt water. Police have found the nurse may have done this multiple times. Yeah, instead of like just saying, hey guys, I dropped it, let's let's get some more. It's like, no, I'll just secretly replace it. But like 9,000 people. Like how many times do you have to drop a vial of Pfizer? Well, exactly. And I don't think they're suggesting that she dropped enough um to to need the 9000 i think what they're suggesting is that they've checked they've checked the numbers and she gave uh the the saline solution to more people than one files worth okay and that she has also been sharing uh, anti-vax information and stuff oh, great. on the internet so therefore they suspect that everybody she ever gave the vaccine to is at risk and to get rid of that risk they're just treating it all like they all need a another shot another dose of the vaccine okay so it's not this supposition that she deliberately definitely dropped nine, <laughs> so many 9, of these 000. that we know that nine thousand are it's just like we don't know so we treat them all like they need a booster because they all do. Okay, so let's talk about the states as we uh, begin to wrap up the show. There's a warning today that the country could see more than 200,000 new cases of COVID every day as the Delta variant is continuing to spread at a particularly rapid pace, particularly among unvaccinated people. Uh, This is uh, Dr. Francis Collins, who is the director of the National Institutes of Health. He said here that the 200,000 cases a day that we're seeing in January and February should not be happening in August, but here we are. And uh, this is due to the fact that 90 million people in the States are still unvaccinated. And this uh, particular medic has described as uh, sitting ducks for the virus and that this is the mess the states are in. Yeah, accurate. And and sorry, just on the the factual note, the US has hit an average of 130,000 new cases over the last week. It's risen every single day since July 5th. Mm -hmm. So 200,000 cases is not actually that far off. No, it's looking likely, but it's... And it's not similar to the UK... um, wherein our high case rate is just a thing and hopefully the vaccines will eventually be the only thing left. Yeah. Um the the the, the anti vax force in the US just seems ever so stronger. Even compared to somewhere that seems quite anti vax like the UK, the numbers are huge. It's mad. Um and there are two camps for me within the anti vax movement. There are the misled and there are the misleaders. And I feel really bad for all the people who are misled and make these decisions based off Bad information, false information. They put their own lives on the line. They yep. put the lives of their family on the line. I feel bad for them. It is their fault. The consequences are theirs to bear. And nothing we can do is going to change that. But my goodness, does something need to be done about the misleaders? They need to be prosecuted because they are killing people. Um, this includes figures of right-wing podcasts. And it includes figures of government. And it includes uh-huh. uh, it includes so many people, like radio shows and stuff like that. Now, many of those people, not many, but enough of those people are, are dying themselves that I know that I do not feel bad for them. When you hear right. about a, a talk show presenter who has died from COVID after spending six years denying the effect, the effectiveness of the vaccine and telling people not to get it and to do other stuff instead, I do not feel bad at all. Now, I don't feel good either. I, I wish they didn't do any of that in the first place and didn't need to die. 
uh, but they did it all and they died. Um, but if any of them survive, they need to be in jail, right? If any of the anti-vaxxers who are leaders and who are manipulators and who are causing this trouble survive, they don't just need to be treated as though they were using their freedom of speech and stuff because they are not. They are actively causing harm and killing people. There needs to be investigations into so many of them to see what their motivations were and how those motivations need to be punished. Yeah, so ju- just on that note, there's actually a relative of ours, James, who uh, sent a link to my mum last week to say uh, that that Satan was rife in in the world. And the link he'd shared was a YouTube video ah. of a doctor in Indiana speaking to a school board which has uh, around about 5 million hits right now, in which he derides uh, face mask wearing, vaccines, all this stuff, which within 60 seconds, I had found articles which debunked everything he was saying, which was palpably nonsense, but this said relative Mm -hmm. had fallen hook, line, and sinker for the entire thing. The second aspect of this, sorry, sorry. The second aspect of this is uh, actually a, a friend of mine who had shared a clip from uh, Joe Rogan, oh, Joe one of Rogan. our competitors in the podcast space, who was criticizing... Slightly more successful. Indeed, just a little bit. Who was criticizing the fact that to get into certain venues, you'll need to have a vaccine or you need to be vaccinated. Or tested. He keeps forgetting that part. Or tested. And uh, in this quote, he said, he basically called everyone dumb, including uh, doctors, school leaders, public health experts... And uh, politicians. So I guess, Mr. Rogan, that the years of training and research and experience that all these doctors and all these medical experts and these disease control experts go through was all for nothing. That all all it takes is just to be told that you are dumb. And therefore, everything you've been through and all the knowledge you have is worthless. That annoyed me a lot. Yeah. Rogan is one of the most suggestible idiots who has a platform. And if he actually just had guests on who had half a brain, he would have a good platform because he listens to everything and just goes, oh, yeah, okay. And it's because he doesn't actually know stuff. I don't know if he knows anything. He kind of just listens to whoever is talking and agrees with them and uh, wields wields his own opinion when it's good for him. So he likes low taxes because he's rich. Sorry, he also said in this clip that uh, America, 1776, was the first country with elected officials and that everything else in history was a dictatorship, apparently forgetting that the first elected officials were in Athens, 500 years BC. And that's the first ones, like, according to the textbooks. Come on, I bet there was elected officials in, like, towns and cities worldwide since humanity was first a thing. My goodness, this, the, just... Some people have such a small view of the world and it's such confidence in their knowledge because they haven't actually read a single thing. And Rogan's one of those, which is why he could have a great platform if he had good guests, but he never has good guests. But it's not just the it's the guests I don't mind so much. It's the fact that on his show, he just agrees with everything. He does not want... That's what I'm saying. He does not challenge anything they say. He just goes, uh-huh, yeah, okay, great. Oh, that sounds legitimate to me. Yeah, but, but but that's what I'm saying. Like, if the guests were all just smart people, it would be fine. He's had on guests that I liked. Like, Bernie Sanders was a good guest. He had on Cornell West. That was a, he was a, that was a great episode. And it's because Rogan just doesn't have a brain. <laughs> he just listens and goes, yes. And sometimes asks a question. Um, and I am being sincere in how stupid he is. But but the problem is that people listen to that show and then they, they take clips 
from that show yeah. as if it's gospel because there is no bite back, there's no evidence, there's no research. It's just, yeah. here's someone who said something, therefore I'm going to publish it and believe it. But that wouldn't be a problem if he just talked to scientists on the show because the scientists are the source, yep. right? And it wouldn't be a problem if he talked to experts because the experts are a source. But he just talks to the right-wing talking heads most of the time and occasionally some brain-dead centrist who will just blame something stupid for everything and he just agrees with it all. And if anybody challenges him, you immediately notice that he's got no actual founding on his opinions. And it's just, he's not, I'm not trying to call him an idiot right-winger. He's just an idiot. I don't think he's a right-winger. No, I don't either. But he, he gives a platform to far too many of them. And a whole lot of people who are who, who who use labels like fascism to describe stuff like vaccine mandates, which just clearly does not line up with what fascism is. It shows such a lack of intelligence to, to label it as such. Um, and it's people who are self-proclaimed experts in fascism and experts in what Nazism is. And uh, because Joe Rogan gives them the platform, everyone thinks it's legitimate. And it is a problem how, how stupid he is and how much he listens. But he would be so good if he just actually talked to people who are smart. Indeed. Okay, I'm talking of uh, smart people. Donald Trump has been back in the news this week. He's had a lot to say about uh, Joe Biden and has called on Biden to resign. But that has uh, kind of happened on a weekly yeah. basis for a long time. For enacting the agreement that he made. Indeed. But the, the news this week is that Mostly. the green light has been given to the Scottish government to potentially investigate the source of finances behind the Trump organisation in Scotland. Namely, yeah. his, uh, his golf courses at Turnbury and uh, up in Aberdeen yeah. as well. James, thoughts on this? Do you think it, it will actually happen? You know, it turns out it is weird when you buy massive amounts of land or projects with cash. <laughs> Who knew? No, it, it, I think the problem is that they don't know or they can't say you can't trace where it. the money has come from. They have no idea where it's come from. Yeah, and usually if someone's paying millions of in cash, that's an immediate tell that it's probably just dirty money that they've laundered somehow. Um, it's just the Trump system. Um, I, I don't think any investigation will really go anywhere because I don't believe that people who are interested have the powers they need yep. or, or have the ears they need. But it's good to know that we can. It's good to know that we can investigate him. I'll be far more interested in the story when it becomes uh, we are investigating, not uh, we could maybe do it someday. Okay, penultimate story for the week. Uh, this was from a few days ago. The New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, finally resigned after the inquiry, which found that he had sexually harassed multiple women. Uh, the best way, this is a quote, the best way I can help now is if I step aside he said, ah. uh, whilst still denying the claims. So he will uh, officially leave his post mm. uh, at the end of the month and uh, Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul will become the first woman in history to lead uh, the New York state. So Mr. Cuomo had been facing a lot of pressure yeah. from uh, fellow Democrats, from politicians across both sides of the aisle. And uh, yeah, he's now, he's out. Yeah, but but like lesson, lesson, um, number whatever 12 in this story because most of the lessons are to do with this guy's absolute trash and should have resigned yep. straight away and probably be in jail right now. Um, lesson 12 or whatever is that, hey, as bad as the democratic establishment is for the people of the US, they actually did call for the dude to resign and it led to him doing it. The Democrats could have all circled the wagon, called it a bunch of lies, said it was fake news and done the Republican thing, but they didn't. Uh, so in this instance, it's yet more proof that there is at least some difference between the parties, and that difference needs to be 
praised because then we can encourage them to have more difference and you know be actually good people in general not just when it's convenient for them um but no i'm I'm, like i'm I'm just glad he's out okay one final story this one is comes somewhat under the radar james it's the news that jamie spears britney spears uh father has agreed to step down from his daughter's conservatorship so this turn of events does appear to be a a big win for uh britney who has been under this conservatorship for 13 years yeah and um despite the fact that she has been fit uh, fit enough to perform and tour and have a las vegas residency and earn hundreds of millions of dollars she's been in this conservatorship for so long until now, apparently. Yeah, until now, it seems. Um, she's got new lawyers, and the new new lawyers basically just kind of paid the dude off. So it's not really a win. It's more of a... Go away. Well, let's just both stop the battle now, because it's bad for everybody. Yep. Um, which is kind of, in my opinion, a win for this scummy, corrupt uh, papa in this instance. Because um, he's probably received some amount of money to step down. Um, it's the only thing I can speculate. Um, but hey... This has been a story for a long time. Uh, I hope this is the end of it because everybody deserves their freedom when they are, you know, human beings who deserve freedom. (laughs) So I'm glad someone else has their freedom again. And I hope that uh, anybody else who is, you know, of any influence in her life can be good for her and healthy for her, better than someone who is literally her, her blood relative. So, Right, Jimbo, that takes us to the end of another mammoth episode of Seesaw Parade, but one uh, very... Proper in, chonker. A, a chonker, but an enjoyable chonker at the same time. I do enjoy a good chonk. <laughs> Listener, if you've enjoyed this chonk, then you can get in touch with the show and let us know. Seesawparade at gmail.com or Seesawparade on Twitter or just like message us directly. That's cool too. Yeah. James, uh, thank you for your time and I'll see you next week. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you. But no, goodbye to you, Matt Hancock, wherever you are. Oh, we- we're bringing that one back. Yeah, Matt Hancock, you still are the worst. You suck. <laughs> we don't like you. We didn't even talk about you, and you still are the worst. You're still in my mind to this day. Well, no, you, you don't You don't live rent-free in my brain. Let me make it clear. <laughs> I didn't even remember you until Colin said you. Sorry, Hatmancock. But immediately I had to recognize that you're the worst. He does not deserve a goodbye.